Hello, my friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Gun Show podcast presented by MTD CNC. I am excited to have my buddy Tyler Bonday with me today, Eastern Regional Product Manager at Matt Sura Machinery. For those of you who do not know, the Gun Show is really about humanizing the world of engineering and manufacturing. Almost everyone out there realizes that we are flying in planes and driving cars and working on computers and all of this really cool stuff. You know, we're playing video games and we have virtual reality thanks to people like Oculus Rift. And we're watching SpaceX and uh, Blue Origin shoot rockets into space. But not a lot of people realize the effort that goes behind it. And even more so, we don't realize the humans that are behind that effort. And that's what the gun show is about. We are here to humanize the industry. This is the gun show. All of you, please give me a round of applause, even though we can't hear you, obviously, as we're recording this. But a round of applause for my buddy, Tyler. Tyler, thank you so much for being a part of the gun show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate you, uh, you doing this, too, and really bringing light to uh, our industry. You know, it needs all the help it can get. So, so kudos to you as well. Hey, thanks, brother. Well, you know, we we all know within the industry, the struggles that we're having with, um, you know, just kind of reducing the skills gap and creating awareness and making manufacturing sexy again and and and, and helping, you know, the generation above the generation that we're in. Uh, you know, there was this there was this conflict where there were a lot of people in engineering and manufacturing for a few decades. And then a lot of things kind of got offshored and, and somebody was educating me on this perspective recently was, you know, a lot of things got offshore and those jobs that people were excited about and were making good money on, they ended up losing them. Um, but everything now is starting to be reshored and people are starting to realize the significance and there's a massive skills gap into what's going on. And we're reducing the skills gap through education and automation. So Matt Sura kind of goes perfectly into reducing that skills gap because we have the ability to run multiple machines instead of one person, one machine kind of a thing. But before we get into the awesomeness of Matt Sura, I want to get into the awesomeness of you. So if you wouldn't mind, let's start off with how you grew up, who you are, how you got into the industry and kind of go from there. Yeah. Okay. So uh, I grew up in a small town just outside of St. Paul, Minnesota, White Bear Lake. Can't get more Minnesotan than that. You know, uh, <laughs> Lake Town. So, um, and uh, you know, you, you really hit the nail on the head. So, I grew up. You know, I graduated high school in 2004, and my whole high school career, it was all this talk about how we need engineers, and you know, there's this massive demand for engineers. And and uh, you know, I, after I graduated, a lot of the shop classes got cut. So, I was very fortunate enough. I got to go through wood wood shop, you know, where you could cut your hand off if you really wanted to. It was pretty, <laughs> pretty fun, pretty dangerous though. Um, you know, metals, electronics, all that stuff. So I got a little taste of all of that. And my shop teacher kept telling me, oh, you got to go to Moldcraft. And Moldcraft was this mold shop that was literally like less than a mile from my high school. And I was like, Mr. Lefebvre, that is the last thing I want to do. I got to get the hell out of this town. Like I got to get as far away from here. So <laughs> long story long, I ended up getting into, uh, my grandpa had an automotive background and I thought, you know, I don't know what I want to do. I don't really want to do a four-year college. So whatever, I'll try to go be a auto technician. And I worked at a Saturn car dealership my senior year, did like a high school apprenticeship and then transferred down to Phoenix, Arizona to go to, uh, the tech school down there, UTI. And I think I worked, uh, oh, hang on, sorry, we got 
little New Haven noise for you here, sirens for you. But um, anyways, moved down there, went to college for, I think I lasted maybe three months and I realized I was learning more on the job at the car dealership, getting paid than I was paying money to go to this tech school that was supposed to be this prestigious automotive tech school. So I ended up dropping out, bounced around a few different trades. After a while, I realized I didn't really want to stay in uh, the automotive industry is kind of getting burned out on long hours and labor rates getting cut. And so I I tinted windows for a little while. I built uh, off-road race cars for a while. And that was really my start, I guess, in manufacturing was uh, building the off-road race cars kind of we would get bare tube build up a frame uh, you know make all the sheet metal panels it would get uh, sent off to powder coat and paint and we would completely build this custom off-road race car that would go you know 100 miles an hour through a couple foot whoops so it was uh, a lot of fun but the uh, the economy crashed in 2008 and I ended up moving back to Minnesota and my shop teacher's uh, words were resonating with me still, so I ended up applying for a job at Moldcraft and, and got my uh, cut my teeth there at that mold shop. So um, worked there for a few years. I learned how to program at night, just reading the book, you know, the Mastercam book at night. They gave me an opportunity there, and uh, just worked my way up from grinding electrodes. You know, after about six months, I was doing setups and. And then after about eight months to a year, I was programming and finish mill programming, doing 3D programming. And I kind of hit a wall and got bored. And this guy I worked with said, hey, man, you should come to this job shop. They got a five axis here. And it kind of piqued my interest. So I ended up moving over to there uh, to a job shop where we were doing a lot of R&D work and onesie twosies. And then they, they taught me five axis. So I, I kind of cut my teeth there and. Worked there for quite a few years, and then I was moonlighting, making uh, motorcycle parts for an old friend down in Phoenix for his motorcycle shop, and that started kind of taking off, and I was working, you know, 30 hours at night. You know, I'd tear down the, the setup of the machine. The, the guy I was working for was really nice. He let me moonlight and use the machines and all that stuff, and so I'd, you know, work all day long, 10, 12-hour days at the job shop, tear down a machine then set up my motorcycle parts, run my, my lots, you know, parts for the different shows or the different busy times of the season and then reset up. So I was working 90, hundred hours a week sometimes, you know, in the busy months and kind of got burned out on that and realized well, I can't make a living making motorcycle parts. And I really didn't want to stay at that job shop. I was kind of tired of that place too. I want to learn something different in this, uh, the same guy that got me to this job shop started working for Matt Sura, and he said, man, you, could, you should come be an applications engineer. You should really give this a try. And I was really intimidated by the, the title at first because I never went to school for any of this. I was just learned on the job, and people kept throwing things at me, and I'd just try to figure it out. And, you know, this company, Matt Sura, I was doing my research on it. And it's like, wow, these are really nice machines and Fanic control. I'd never ran a Fanic control in my life. But I was just kind of at this point where I was like, you know, every every other chance that I was in like this, I didn't really know what I was doing and just kind of took the leap of faith and put my head down and work real hard. I'll, I'll figure it out, whatever. And so I guess that's uh, that was my start into to Matt Sura, the, the industry side of things. So 
Yeah, that's pretty cool, man. And and you and I have a lot in common. Um, and, and the message I think here for the for some of the listeners, and again, I get I get feedback, text messages, messages on LinkedIn and Instagram and, and YouTube and all these places. And um, the feedback is often, you know, thank you for sharing your story because I thought I had to do, you know, go this completely different route in order to get into the industry itself for those people who are interested, right? But I think you yeah. share a powerful story of, I put my head down, I worked. You mentioned you took the books home to teach yourself how to do programming. You started with three axis, went into five axis. You know, you, you kept moving along and, and just working hard. You mentioned night shift at 100 hours a week at one point. You know, this is, this is real dedication to, to yourself, right? To the growth of totally. who, who you want to be and what you want to do. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, for those listeners out there, this is encouraging for people to understand that although there are degrees out there that require, you know, uh, some certificate of a bachelor's degree, a master's degree, uh, you know, there's a lot of different degrees out there. And, you know, you and I can't walk into a doctor's office and become a doctor. But with the right amount of work ethic in our industry, there are just incredibly intelligent people like yourself that want to work hard, that like working with your hands and can get the job done and learn. Right. And that type of growth is inspirational, Tyler. Yeah, you know, it's so rewarding too. You know, I've been in so many different trades and in different industries. You know, that was my bachelor's degree, I guess, was just working different trades. And uh, many, the, the manufacturing industry, there's so many, especially being on the industry side now and going to like IMTS, there are so many different outlets, you know, or different, you could be a tooling guy, you could be work holding software, machine tools, different machine shops. You know, there's so many different paths and they're all looking for people that are hardworking, have a good work ethic and that just want to learn and be challenged. And, uh, you know, there, there's not a lot of industries, I think, that are like that. So I, I couldn't say enough good things about it. So, yeah, man, you're spot on. I mean, and I hear that echoed or, you know, throw a pebble, pebble in the water and hear ripple all the time about, you know, the industries looking for these type of people. And it doesn't have to be a specific one style or one version or one type of thought because it spreads out like a spider web, right? Like you mentioned, yeah. and just to reiterate, I mean, if you're a talker and outgoing, then we can go into sales. If you like video games, then maybe, you know, beating your own score on a CNC or working with automation and robotics is the way to go. You know, if you're into just, if you're a real introvert and just love numbers and that type of analytical thinking, there's spots there that, that are necessary. And we've mentioned this you know, previously, but there's a massive skills gap. So it's important to convey that message as you've done here. And I'm grateful that you have that this is an open door for so many different types of people and personalities. And we need you and we all yeah. need you, you know? Yep. And I cover, you know, Maine to Florida now for Matsura. And it's the same. Every single shop says the same thing, man. Do you know anybody? We're looking for people. And <laughs> I mean, it's, it's sad because I think, you know, I was at a shop today that I'm heading home from and uh, we're talking and it's like, man, you know, there's so many 60 to 65 year old guys that are like the key guy in the shop and they're retiring, you know, in the next year, two, three, four, five years, you know, so it's, it's just getting worse and worse. So something's got to give, you know, we got to, you know, and things like this, I think are a great, great outlet to really shed light on our industry because it's such a rewarding a uh, great place to be in, I guess, you know? Yeah, Tyler. And I, and I kid you not just to 
<laughs> just to echo kind of what you said. And I'm not making this up and I won't say who it was, but and there's definitely some jest in what I'm about to say. Uh, but I was with a, a customer the other day and they go, do you know anyone that just won't walk outside at lunchtime and get stoned and drunk? We'll take them. Just someone, <laughs> someone that we can educate and, and we'll bring them up, you know, just has a good work ethic because you're right, man. It's we, we need more people. But based on that understanding and the fact that we have done a poor job, not you and I, in general, but the, the industry in general, and we can even place some blame on the education system, which I don't know that blame is the right word, but we've just focused in other industries as a whole when we're educating kids from middle school and high school on up. You know, you mentioned being in a woodworking shop. I did too, but I didn't have any CNC machines. We had obviously had no robotics. And when I was in middle school and high school, I had no idea about any of this kind of stuff. I was blind to the world when it came to that. So there is some responsibility when it comes to that. But as yeah, a piece totally. of that, as a piece of that segue, we can talk a little bit about Matt Sura and what Matt Sura does, if you'd like. Whereas even though there is a skills gap and we do desire more people, the best way to combat that at the moment is having talented, educated people who are able to do multiple tasks at one time. So what, five, 10, 20 years ago, you'd have one person, one machine. Now you have one person, five machines or 10 machines. And Matt Sura with the lights out running and the way that you guys have those pallet change situations where you can have batch sizes as small as one or two. And even though it's just a one or two batch size, you can constantly run the machine while the pallets are being changed out for the new job. To me, that's the answer to the immediate issue and we'll fix the other stuff as time goes on but you guys are key into reducing that skills gap yep yep exactly so yeah a little bit you know ten thousand foot view matsura is a very small niche you know it's a family owned still a privately held machine tool builder in japan um we're on you know ketsu matsura's current president he's the third generation and his son yuto probably in the next few years will be kind of taking the reins. They're kind of grooming him to be next in line. And really who Matsura is, um, is, is really a solution based machine tool builder. So we're not a commodity type machine tool builder where you open the catalog and we make lathes and mills and laser welders and all this stuff. We really, uh, if you, if you open up, you know, on our machine tool side, um, it's really, like you said, it's, it's a lot of, uh, palletized solutions. So we have horizontals with big pallet pools, uh, large tool changers, and then predominantly, you know, our, our bread and butter is really five axis with pallet pools. So, you know, really set up, like you said, to A, eliminate setups and B, you know, eliminate downtime. So when you are, you know, you've got that high skill guy, he'll be able to set up a job, uh, prove it out. And then maybe he's got to go to QC with that part. And so instead of the machine just sitting there with the door open, you can pallet change another part and start proving out a new one while QC is checking, uh, you know, all the, the accuracies on that part. There's a lot of moving pieces to make it all work, right? And we've been doing it for a very long time. You know, like our MAM series has been around for 30 years. So um, you start looking, it's, it's really cool to see the industry is now finally accepting this type of technology. And really, you can see a lot of other builders starting to build this type of machine. Um, which I think is great. You know, it's, we have our spot in the industry and there's plenty of room here for the other guys. We know who we are and what we're, our core competence is. And uh, I think it's a, a great tool to make manufacturing in USA even that much more competitive because it, it really, it has to, like you said early on, 
you know, all this work being reshored and the importance of manufacturing in the United States is so important for machine shops to be competitive and use this type of technology um, to, uh, to be more competitive globally. So, um, yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And if it's, and this podcast is about you and we're going to talk more about you, but I'd like to take a moment to give a shout out to uh, a couple of your incredible customers. Um, <laughs> I had the opportunity to spend some time with the, the inspirational folks over at flying S where they bought two of your Matsura machines and uh, within nine months were able to produce the same amount of uh, work hours and more parts than they were previously on five machines um, that had been replaced with your two new Matsura machines within. So they had the, the originals for five years and the two Matsuras produced more parts and an equal amount of uptime on those machines within nine months as they did in five years. And then, uh, I recently had the great privilege to spend some time with the folks over at Ricarte Precision and their MAM machine, which I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, because you're the expert, uh, 32 pallets and 320 tools, which allowed him during a struggle of, of a COVID time where a little bit of work was down. That was the one machine that allowed him to reduce lead times for his customers because he could pop in the hot jobs when needed and constantly keep that thing running all the time because it just had so many options and so many tools. And it was kind of, you know, these videos are, are heading out, but it was kind of like what saved him, the saving grace during a time of struggle. Your machines yeah. and what you guys do and you say niche or not really so much niche, but you say it's, it's not a commodity, which it's not but it is an extremely powerful tool for people to create success on a large scale, whether it's small batch jobs or large jobs. It just, it works. And what I hear repeated to me regularly is that I know that when I check my first piece, I can run for the entire weekend, check my piece on Monday. It's going to be exactly right. So that stress of making sure that all those offsets are always looked at every 30 minutes or an hour or two hours, you know, that's, that doesn't exist either. Yeah. Yeah. And, and really, you know, I touched on it earlier today at a customer and the old days when there were more um, higher skilled machinists, tool makers, that type of personnel was more available. You know, a really smart, highly talented guy can make a good part on a lower end machine, but it just takes more effort. And what ours does is it takes away a lot of that, that tweaking in and, and chasing tolerances you know, our, our machine's a little bit more rigid, a little bit more accurate, that it takes a lot of that out so that your throughput goes up. So you hear stories like that. And again, it enable us to, to have a pallet changer on there where the machine can repeat. So you can have the ability to change and do a high, what we like to say, you know, a, a low volume, high mix of parts. So. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. So I want to go a little bit back into um, just you as a person, if that's all right, because mm -hmm. you and I, you and I have a lot of similarities and, and uh, talking to you even before now. And I'm, I'm grateful that you're being a part of this podcast because uh, anyone who gets to know you, um, you know, really enjoys your conversation and, and what you teach them. So being able to do this on a global scale and just kind of echo who you are and what you do. Um, I, I hope this reaches, you know, the people that are going to feel the power of your words. And I know it will. Um, 
so you and I have some similarities where you, when you were talking about, you know, I kind of put my head down and I worked hard. You started off going to Dunwoody College of Technology and I myself also started off going to a college and I'm not sure how your transition happened. But, you know, I went to school because I knew I was going to be a professional soccer player and I was chasing girls around and that, you know, that didn't really work out for me too well. Um, oh, dude, so, there's still like, time for that. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. 42 years old. I could probably still be a pro player, right? Oh yeah, you got it. So what I want, what the, the message I want to convey is that um, there are so many people out there right now that are in middle school and high school, and and I'm not sure how many listeners that we have that are in that stage. I know we have a ton of listeners that are new into the industry and have found inspiration from these conversations in general because we're going, hey, we started at this place, we worked hard, and we got to this place. That's inspiring to the people who are just getting into it, right? I yep. think it's important also for the ones that are listening that are a bit younger even to go, you know what? University is definitely a great path to go, but it's not everyone's path. And some yeah. people want to do trade schools. And also there's an opportunity where a lot of these companies will pay you to go to trade school while simultaneously working. And this is going to allow for that as well. And I think you're a great story of that. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. You know, um, when I was 18, I was down in Arizona. I did the automotive route and it didn't really work out. So um, when I moved back to Minnesota in 08 and I was working at this mold shop, I told them, I was like, man, I really want to get a degree. I, I feel I need one. And they're like, hey, you come in, you know, we'll put you on like a, a 30, 60 day kind of see how things go. And then if it works out, let's talk about, you know, what our options are so that you can do this because we want we want and need good employees and if that's what you want and that's what it takes, like we'll, we'll work with you. So um, it ended up, I, I worked there, I think like two months, three months. And they're like, yeah, you know, this is working really good. And they found this night school program at Dunwoody and it was good, but it was a, a little bit outdated of a manufacturing program. And, you know, I think it was like three different courses that you would do. And I did the first one and it was a lot of fun. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I made like a, you know, a hammer on the lathe and, you know, some other stuff <laughs> like that. But it was like, once again, I was learning more at my job and I was getting paid to do it than I was paying to go to night school. Actually, my company was paying for it, but I just felt like it wasn't, the value wasn't there. And I didn't, I could care less about a piece of paper. Um, I just, I wanted to keep learning more and more and more. So what had happened was I was, you know, working during the day, going to night school a couple times a night during the week. And my company came to me and they're like, Hey, we're getting a little busy. We want a night shift. And we really, we think you'd be a good lead for the night shift. And so they offered me more money. And I was like, well, what about school? And they're like, well, what do you think about school? And I was like, well, to be frank, you know, I just said the same thing, you know, I'm, I'm getting paid to learn more on the job than I am paying to go to school. And I think since that time, you know, this is 2008, 2009, a lot has changed in the industry. And I think there has been a shift in focus in that. And I guess the point I'm just trying to make is maybe you can't afford school or maybe you, you don't know yet. And so I think really the best route is getting in at an entry level job at one of these shops, finding a good shop that's investing in the current technology and is a good, clean place to work. And they'll work with you. You know, they, they want good employees. They want smart employees. And they, uh, if that means helping out on school end, you know, I've seen so many shops that do some sort of program like that that, uh, you know, don't be afraid to ask just because, you know, your school didn't tell you it was an option doesn't mean it, it can't be done. 
Yeah. Valuable, man. Valuable insight. And would you believe me if I told you I've actually done an open house over at Dunwoody uh, in that general area? And, and oh, nice. I, yeah, I can um, I can kind of empathize with the perspective that you had of being over there. And to be fair, it's not just Dunwoody. Dunwoody. If, if I had my way, which I hardly ever do, um, especially growing up with five sisters, uh, if I had my way, I would upgrade all of the technology centers pretty much across the country. All of the, the tech schools, trade schools, there are a couple that are doing great. Um, but for the most part, we could really use an upgrade in all of those situations, right? Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I really think truly the best path is an apprenticeship type where you're on the job learning and then you go to school because I totally get it. You know, and, and I thought Dunwoody did have a great program, but it was like their full-time program during the day. You know, they had Haas Mills and SolidWorks. They taught Mastercam. And I had friends that did that and learned a lot through that. Uh, but I, in my opinion, especially even in the automotive background that I started with, again, the best place to learn is on the job, you know, in, the, in a lot of these trades and for these colleges to be able to afford higher end equipment and maintain it. It's uh, it's pretty tough. You know, and I think Haas does a great job of getting machines into places and, and educating, but it, uh, again, I think it just, the industry lacks a lot of the people, you know, even teachers from the industry too are hard to find. So it's there, uh, there, there is a big push, I'd say, in the last few years. You know, Titan's got his uh, Titan Academy, and, and there's different avenues like that. And with uh, with technology, you know, being podcasts like this or YouTube channels, you know, like John Saunders does a, his YouTube channel and it's very informative and education-driven, um, you know, where he just loves to learn. And I think it, it does a great job to just, again, shine light on our industry, so... Yeah, you threw down some good names there. Great name drops. Uh, I consider them all friends. Um, yeah. So from, from your growth, from what you've done, the path you've taken, uh, you mentioned to me before we started recording, it's oftentimes considered the, the school of hard knocks. Um, and for our, our listeners out there, uh, what advice do you think you could give? And you can choose what discipline of, of human you'd like to focus this advice on. It could be to the generation that's in middle school right now that how do we make this fun and exciting for them to want to learn more? Or you can focus on um, the folks that are just getting into it and, and going through your route and saying, Hey man, um, I'm really proud of the person I am today. I go home, you know, from work every day and I'm, I'm grateful for what I've done. I know I've helped people or even the ones that have been in the industry a long time and have somewhat of a, a jaded perspective because maybe they feel like they deserve more. They need to earn more. And, and there's a lot of technology every day where we're constantly learning something new in the manufacturing world, almost as quickly as you would consider the software world these days. So now that I've made my long winded statement to give you time to think about that answer, what kind of advice would you offer? Oh man, you know, I could pick a little bit for each, you know, I think we all, all our constant work, you know, I think there's always room for constant improvement, I guess. So it's tough, you know, it's, but I think, you know, for the younger generation to just not be afraid. I, I think I got to where I got because I was never afraid. Maybe I was too dumb to, to not try <laughs> stuff, you know, but you know, you'd get like, when I'd work at the mold shop, I just would try it. You know, I'd listen to the smart guys in the shop. They would tell me a certain thing and it'd be like, all right, well, if I listen to what they say, it'll probably work. 
And every time I did that, it worked. And then sometimes I would take that and go, man, I wonder if I could do it like this instead and try something new. Sometimes it would work and you'd learn something or sometimes it wouldn't work, but you'd still learn something. And as long as you didn't make the same mistake two or sometimes three times, (laughs) you know, I think nobody really got that mad at you, you know, because they knew you were trying to push, um, push the boundary or push the limit on, on, you know, tool life or speeding things up or, or maybe making a better surface finish on a part that made, you know, life a little bit easier for the polisher. But, um, you know, there's too many people, I think that, that are, you know, like we're driven into, Oh man, here's the rules and you need to play by them. And it's like, no, man, there are no rules. Like as long as you're learning and you have a good work ethic, you work hard. And I think if you have that, um, kind of that feeling of, Hey, you know, my name's on this. I want to do the best I can with what I have. I think you're going to go far. And, you know, and especially in an industry like this, it's, it's, uh, I, I think I'm living proof, you know, you put your head down, you work really hard. People take notice to that really quick. So. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I do agree with that. Um, <clears throat> I guess as, as part of that segue, um, you know, there's there's generational arguments that go on regularly, right? Like, ah, oh, the boomers yeah. and ah, oh, the millennials <laughs> and you never want to work or, well, you know, whatever it might be. Right. Do you think yeah. there is uh, either a misconception or a truth? It could be the one where most people going into the workforce now have this idea of instant fame or instant richness. And and we lose some people just based on the fact that while manufacturing will absolutely stabilize a household and manufacturing and a much larger scale will balance and stabilize economies. And in my opinion, that's kind of the path that a country like Germany took. Right. And we know, we know that this type of skill set is going to last a lifetime and maybe someone never reaches the billionaire mark, but I would, I would make the discussion that most of the people in our industry have, a pretty high quality level of life, but it also comes with a little work. And if we are, if we believe that coming out of high school, we're all going to be millionaires by creating an app or whatever it might be. And I bring yeah. some of this up as well, Tyler, because I had a really great conversation with someone just yesterday. And um, he was like, I, you know, I went, I'm quoting the person that I was talking with. He says, you know, I went to school. I became a mechanical engineer. A lot of my friends are mechanical engineers. They were three or four years into mechanical engineering, but they were kind of sitting in a cubicle, you know, doing these types of things and didn't really get into the shop. And after those amount of years, they realized, well, I can take my degree and move into a software engineer and make a little bit more. And so there's this constant conversation going on about which path is going to be best for someone with, with where I sit and the people that I get to see on a regular basis, one powerful statement that was told to me as well when I asked about that advice was, you know, what's your advice or, or what do you see in the industry? And this amazing person, he looks at me and he goes, I've never had to worry about my job. I know that I'm always going to be able to take care of my family have my vacations, and I'm going to have a stable household. I know that was a really long statement. Would you uh, agree or expand on anything that was that I brought up? Yeah, yeah. I would 100% agree with that. And that's really why I, you know, why, you know, my high school shop teacher, those words resonating me with me, you know, in 2008 when the economy crashed and I was sitting in Phoenix broke, you know, bouncing paychecks. I was like, uh, I guess I'll give this manufacturing thing a shot. You know, I kind of started thinking in my head, like, well, it's going to be indoors. It's climate controlled. It's Monday through Friday. 
eight to basically eight to five. I think it was seven to four. And I was like, dude, I got weekends off. Like you can't beat that. Right. And so, and it is stable. And once you learn a trade like this, you know, you can go anywhere with it. So I'd hundred percent agree with that. I'd also, you know, kind of backtrack to the earlier one of, you know, the different generations. I, I don't know. I laugh at it because I guess that's all you can do. In my opinion, I think <laughs> there's a little bit of, you know, the okay boomer and all this stuff. There's some really hardworking old guys that I still run into that'll run circles around younger people. And then there's younger people that come in and will run circles around older people. So I, I don't know. I hate that, that whole, you know, trying to categorize somebody. I always would get ticked off when somebody would try to call me a, uh, I don't even know what my generation is anymore. I'm uh, an I'm like Xer, a, I think. I'm like on the edge of X in the whatever the the. I say the horrible one, but I think Z is supposedly the worst one now. But I, <laughs> I meet so many people throughout the day, throughout the week, and they still amaze me because it doesn't really matter about your age. It's all about who you are as a person, how hard you work, and again, I think just having that that mentality of like, Hey, you know what? My name's on this. I want to do the best I can because uh, that's all you have. Right. At the end of the day. Yeah, man. Powerful, powerful words. And I, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I mean, stereotypes are not really my thing. And, <clears throat> and I agree with that. Like if, guilty, if anyone you know, in sales, you know, we go into shops and it's like, Oh yeah, I know who this guy is or that. And it's like, I like to be proved, you know, I like when I am wrong on those, but <laughs> it's uh, I think it's just human nature, but to, yeah. To stereotype a whole generation, I think, is just a, it's a little absurd, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, 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 I agree. Certainly not a topic we need to go into too much, but I agree with you. And one thing I've learned in, in my 42 years of life is I know enough to know that I don't know anything of all, at all. But also, <laughs> yeah. when anyone claims that something is 100%, then it just can't be true. There's like very little, if anything, that's going to be 100% of everything, right? Like there's going to always be the exceptions. Yeah. Exactly. So before we get off here, before I close this, this gun show podcast, is there anything else about Matt Sir that you'd like to express? Because I know you've been there for seven years now. I know a little over seven years. I know you started as an application engineer, which allowed you to understand the machine and the workings of the machine before you became the project manager of the Northeast, all the way down to Florida, which is where I live. And you better come have a beer with me uh, oceanfront sometime. But is there, oh, anything else about, is there anything else about Matt, sir, you'd like to add before we close this out? Yeah, I mean, it's a great company to work for. I mean, I just got incredibly lucky to have the opportunity to go work for them as an application engineer. But I'd say working for them, it's been just an absolute pleasure. I mean, anytime I'd have a suggestion or, you know, the group of people I work with, we're like a family. So we all bring something to the table a little bit different. And starting out in applications, I was able to work very closely with uh, a couple of Japanese applications engineers, and they taught me so much about the machines and the capability. And then just working through the company and, and being able to travel travel around to different customers and trade shows and meet people, it's just been a, a great opportunity to just keep learning and absorbing knowledge. And then that really segued into getting me getting more into sales. So I'm a, a product manager. I didn't really want sales in my title, but I'm really like a regional sales manager. And it's great to go into shops with the sales guy and really sit down and get to know the machine shop that we're, you know, prospecting and see really, you know, do we have something that we can offer them to maybe help benefit 
the way they're doing things. And sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Uh, but to be able to go in and talk shop with these guys, it really helps out in the sales process. And again, it's always learning, you know, the shops I was at today, there, there's always guys making very niche type parts in our industry. And you come across this, I'm sure all the time, there's some really cool stuff out there and they're really smart on how they do it. But a lot of the times they don't know what they don't know. You know, if you don't leave that shop to get out to these trade shows or unless you, or even, you know, if you bounce around to different shops, you don't know what's outside of your shop walls. So it's nice to come in to some of these places and sales guys don't always get the best uh, reputation. And so to be able to go <laughs> in and, and talk shop with them and, and kind of break down the wall a little bit and then really just go in there and try to learn about their business and then be able to see if we can provide a solution that, that will help them uh, succeed and maybe help grow their business. So working for a company like Matsura, it's just been amazing. You know, they, they're really hands off. They, they kind of let me do my thing and I check in once a week. We have a sales meeting that's usually pretty brief and, and that's about it. You know, I call up and I need something. They usually get it done for me. So um, it's great working for uh, one of the best machine tool builders out there. You know, we built our reputation uh, on the quality of machine and you, you go around and there's a lot of 25, 30 plus year old machines still out there still holding tents. So it's uh, I take a lot of pride working for them. As you should, my friend, as you should. And just to talk about the family atmosphere, um, I can I can empathize. And although I don't work directly uh, as an employee of Matsura, I can definitely empathize with that family environment. Just knowing, you know, David Hudson, Kelly Walker, yourself, uh, my buddy, Fernando Garcia, you know, everyone that I've, I've worked with in that Matsura family has just been genuinely you know kind and authentic and, and good human beings to not just work with but become friends with in life yep yeah we work hard we play hard too so i'm sure uh if you've been to any of the shows you'll you'll know that but we're gonna but, try and cram in about a hundred of them in the last month of this year aren't we oh my god i know i'm getting ready for it so <laughs> but it'll be well, fun it'll be good I tell you what, when we get a chance, we'll both head over to Japan and have a couple of sakis and some sushi and, and do whatever other fun stuff we can do while we're in Japan, right? That sounds good, man. Just keep me away from the sochi, man. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I will keep that in mind. All right, my friends. Well, thank you all for tuning in. This has been another episode of The Gun Show presented by MTDCNC. Uh, for those of you who are listening, let's be equally as proud of the people who build the planes as the ones that fly the planes, the one who helps make the cars, the ones who are doctors, but also make the medical equipment, so on and so forth. When you look down at your phone, when you look at your table, when you're playing on your laptop, when you see those rockets go into space, just know your engineers and manufacturers are on your side and we are creative. And we hope that you will look into this a little bit more. And if there's anything we can do for you, I'm actually going to let Tyler in this with his personal home address, cell phone number. No, I'm just kidding. You don't have to do that. But Tyler, <laughs> for someone who's listening right now and wants to get in touch with you or Matt Sarah as a whole, uh, what's the website? What's your socials? How can they find you? If you want to give out your email, you know, it can sometimes be scary to give it to a global audience, but you're more than welcome to. Where can they find you? Yeah. Easiest place to find me is just on LinkedIn. You know, it's Tyler Bondi. Uh, pretty easy to find. Look for the bald guy with the beard. And uh, for Matt Sura, it's just Matt Sura, you know, 
usa.com. Absolutely beautiful. Well, my friends, I hope you have learned as much as I have from Tyler today. Tyler, uh, if you ever get bored and you want to hop on this show another seven, eight or 10 times, you let me know because you are amazing. Keep up the good work and uh, we'll talk again soon. All right, my friend. Yep. Thanks, brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Appreciate what you do. So keep it up. Always a pleasure, my friend.